and thank you everyone for joining us on this 21 News podcast on fighting violence in our cities. I am Sydney Canty, and I have here joining me Mr. Irvin Waller, who is a Meredith Professor of Criminology at the University of Ottawa in Canada. His work is very much involved in the United States as well. Say hello, Mr. Irvin. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So thank you so much for joining us on today. Um, we have been seeing a rise in violence in our city um, and, and in the cities around us with a lot of shootings occurring lately. And our local law enforcement and city officials have hosted things like vigils and, you know, they're watching documentaries on crime and on some, um, they've been doing rallies to kind of stop the crime in our city. And we really just needed to speak with someone like you, like a criminology expert on whether you think efforts like this help at all. Like, we're thinking that wouldn't it be better to maybe eradicate the root causes of crime like poverty, unemployment, and drug abuse, rather than holding vigils and, and watching documentaries? What, what do you think? Well, I, I think that it is, uh, we have a lot of knowledge about what prevents violent crime, what uh, stops shootings, what prevents uh, homicides. And the most important is that we actually use that knowledge. Uh, so that knowledge tells us that uh, for a city or a state who wants to uh, stop these uh, homicides and shootings, they need to have a plan. And that plan is uh, epidemiological, just as you look at the what you're going to do about COVID, you look at what are the root causes, what are the risk factors that contribute to that violence, and you look at what those are in your uh, city, and you then uh, react to that by um, using the science. Uh, you get inspired by things that have been shown to work, and you um, shift from reacting to it uh, into the things that will really uh, stop that violence. And um, I am confident that uh, your city, your state could. Uh, reduce uh, rates of homicide sustainably uh, by 50% or more by 2025 by um, applying that evidence, by investing in those things that we know uh, have worked uh, elsewhere. These things are surprisingly cost-effectiveness, but they do require uh, the city, the state to spend a little bit differently from what they're doing at the moment. So, uh, the vigils probably do no harm. Documentaries probably do no harm. And if they get people to think a little bit about um, a culture that supports violence, that uh, allows uh, gun violence, then they, they may be helpful in changing um, opinions, but they will not change the real rates of uh, violence. Now, the challenge for me is how do you get um, city leaders uh, police chiefs, um, how do you get uh, people at the state and federal level in the United States to shift from what they've been doing for decades, which is basically relying on enforcement and particularly incarceration uh, to somehow react to what happened, hold people accountable is, is good, but they don't really make a difference to the, uh, the levels of violence. So we have to get them to look at what we know works. And uh, we have uh, fantastic examples. Um, 
from cities that are actually high-violence cities like Chicago. So Chicago invents something that really works, but then Chicago doesn't use it. But you could be using it. And uh, one of the well-known programs that works is, is called Interrupters. This is basically where you have a, a street worker, somebody who um, can get the confidence of those young men. It's usually a limited number of young men in a city or in a neighborhood who are involved in this violence. So these interrupters reach out to those young men and get them to rethink, um, get them to think about completing school if they were behind in school, get them to think about getting job training so that they can get jobs, and generally get them to think about not being engaged in the violence or if they're involved in uh, selling drugs to get them to think about a different uh, way of life. Um, there's a, a particular program that I, I would actually put at the top of the list because it gives you results so quickly, and that is where the street workers go into uh, hospital emergency rooms when somebody has been shot or uh, uh, somebody has been stabbed, depending a little bit on the nature of the violence. And this is a critical moment because if you're in a hospital emergency room, you're probably in pain. Um, you don't necessarily want to go on with that, um, but you you may have feelings of revenge, so you want to go back and get the person who, who attacked you. And these programs are uh, very, very effective, very effective in the short term. And the interesting thing about the United States at this particular juncture is that the um, the Biden-Harris administration has actually put what I consider a very small amount of money into the funding the two programs that I've mentioned. You also have states that, uh, like California that are doing it. Um, and these would be a start, just getting uh, interrupters set, set up, uh, doing stuff in hospital emergency rooms will give uh, important short-term benefits, but you clearly need to do a lot more. So you need to support those families uh, where these young men are coming from. Uh, you need to use the commitment of mothers. Mothers care more about the, the, the futures of their sons than the sons do, unfortunately. The mothers don't want them. Uh, coming out of a hospital in a wheelchair. They don't want them going in a body bag. They don't want them going to jail. They want something different. So the mothers can bring some pressure. They can also bring pressure, by the way, on city councillors, on police chiefs, uh, on uh, state and federal legislators. And the police can also change. So the police basically cannot arrest themselves, uh, arrest your city out of these problems. Uh, if it did, the U.S. would have some of the lowest violence rates in the um, in, in, in the advanced world, and they don't. They they have the the worst violence rates, uh, despite um, uh, very high expenditures on policing. And uh, absolutely, the absolute outliers, outliers in terms of uh, overuse of incarceration. So uh, that will not solve the, the problem. However, um, smart policing would really have the police pushing 
these young men towards the services that can uh, help them. And um, yeah, uh, we've seen cities in the United States that have reduced uh, the extraordinary high levels of violence in cities like Oakland to what are just um, very high levels. Not uh, So you can see reductions of 50% within a, 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 a a relatively limited time period. But we see in other countries um, much lower rates of violence. My favorite comparison is Toronto and Chicago, two cities that are identical populations, identical affluence. Um, but Chicago has roughly 10 times the number of homicides that uh, Toronto has, and they have two and a half times the number of police. And of course, the incarceration rates are at least five times uh, those uh, the incarcerates in Illinois are at least five times those the incarceration rates in, um, in 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 Canada. So why does Toronto have lower violence rates? And the short answer is um, that the uh, social policies uh, on um, uh, healthcare, uh, if you lose your job. Uh, the uh, social safety net, uh, schools are much more mixed. So uh, generally, uh, the access to schools is better than in where you get concentrated poverty in the U.S. city. Uh, and, and, and there are other reasons. Now, maybe guns, handgun policies make a difference. I, I, I actually think they don't make as much difference as uh, some of my colleagues would suggest, because uh, I think if you are in a street gang life in Toronto, you can get a gun if you wanted a handgun. Uh, yes, you get it from the United States, but uh, you can get a handgun if you uh, if you want it. I, I, I think you're quite right to ask the question about root causes, uh, but changing those root causes is uh, going to take time. It's going to be expensive. Um, and yes, you should be doing it, uh, but um, let's achieve what we can through tackling what are called risk factors. That's focusing on this small group of young men who are most prone to the, the violence. And you shouldn't just be doing interrupters. You need to concentrate on the family. You need to do things in schools so that these young men grow up to be um, I would call it toxic Rambo, toxic masculinity, where they think that um, it's it's good to be tough and to fight things with guns or whatever you're going to do. You can change that in 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 schools. You can get people to uh, learn to control their emotions. I, none of this is a hundred percent. What we're talking about is a fifty percent reduction. So if you can get 50% um, of the young men who would have drifted into this way of life not to do it, then you're going to stop violence um, significantly. And by the way, uh, uh, some of that is going to stop violence against women, because while it's uh, shootings that get the headlines, you're in the headline business, um, I'm in the business of getting some equity between I want to stop people getting shot, but I want to stop women being uh, victims of intimate partner sexual violence. And I uh, that, by the way, will also reduce 
uh, the extent to which young boys are growing up seeing violence and um, uh, using violence in their own life. So I would like to see some sort of, yeah, we've got to do stuff about gun violence, but we need to also be, be worried about um, uh, the hidden violence that goes on behind closed doors that in COVID has been incredibly important because uh, un un unfortunately there has been, um, not just in the United States, but across the world, more violence because women have been confined with a man who may not have been that violent before, but in that situation, um, the violence increases. Okay, so um, tell me about like, because you were talking about the interrupters program and you mentioned them a few times and that, you know, we should partake in that program, but the program is not enough alone that we also have to do other things. How do we know that the program interrupters will be effective? I know that before you were telling me about some stats about other places that have implemented that program in their area. So um, do you remember any of those stats? Yes. Um, so the initial program was developed in a neighborhood of Chicago, and the com they compared that neighborhood with similar neighborhoods, and you saw a reduction of uh, homicides of at least 30%. Um, and uh, you see similar studies done in Baltimore. Um, that show a fairly similar reduction. You see the same in New York City. Uh, in, in, in some of these comparisons, you see reductions of uh, over 50%. Um, these are also very cost-effective. So the, the investment that you make to bring in interrupters um, shows two sorts of benefits later on. The benefit that's most important to me personally is that you reduce homicides and you can actually attach numbers to uh, the harm done by homicides to those figures. Uh, you're talking about uh, an estimated, um, if it was in the civil court, $10 million is uh, what a civil court would might give for the loss of a young life. Um, so there are significant benefits like that. There are also significant benefits because you you save police costs. Uh, the typical cost, average cost for investigating a homicide uh, is around 500,000. Uh, um, some people use a higher figure, but it, 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 it's significant. And of course, if you reduce uh, homicides by 50%, you not only reduce the costs of those investigations, but you uh, you reduce the costs of incarceration, so um, this is a, a win-win uh, action. Uh, the emergency room numbers, um, the studies are, are not so extensive, but um, the uh, percentage reductions are, are are even higher, and of course you get those almost immediately. Uh, and I'd like to just shift to, to one other part of this uh, that is important. So um, the U.S. cities have very high violence rates, and uh, Bogota and Colombia also has very high violence rates. Bogota, Colombia used uh, three, well, they used the planned diagnosis to find out why they had so much violence, and their conclusion was it had to do with guns, it had to do with alcohol, 
and it had to do with revenge killings. So um, they instituted exactly what I uh, talked about as one of their three um, programs that reduced homicides in Bogota by 50%. I would like to see US cities looking at cities with low, uh, now with low violence. And my favorite is actually Glasgow in Scotland. And they did this diagnosis. They set up a violence reduction unit. I, I, uh, you see Oakland sort of moving towards it, but not quite. You see Chicago moving towards it, but not quite. New York City and Philadelphia. But these, are, these cities still have uh, incredibly high violence. Um, uh, so uh, Glasgow set up this unit to do the planning. They then mobilized something equivalent to interrupters. I think it's actually a better program. It's it's a, a youth outreach program. You, you you set up a youth center in the neighborhood where you've got a lot of violence, and you move from that to bringing youth in. But anyhow, hey, interrupters is proven and cost effective. It's good. So um, and it's uh, American. So go for it. But they also did stuff in hospital emergency rooms that were. Um, really working. And importantly, they measured outcomes. So uh, you need to get the state and the city council to set some sort of targets, 50% by 2025. And they need to measure whether, whether they're going there. And my work actually includes uh, an interesting thing for city councillors. It's a safety monitored tool and it has two parts. The first part is, are you using the programs that are proven? So like interrupters, youth outreach, are you getting schools to do the stuff to change the attitudes of young men? Are you doing the family uh, stuff that makes a difference? Are you providing uh, funding for in the areas where you've got concentrated poverty and concentrated uh, violence? and where those young men can actually get jobs. So those are five things that are central. It also talks about how you need to change policing. So yes, you need policing going after um, illegal use of uh, guns, and you need them going after the drug market, but you need them also doing what's called focused deterrence, and that's the pushing of these uh, young men towards other services. So that's one um, very key thing that a city councillor or a state legislator can look at. The second is one about planning. We know that cities like Bogota, cities like Glasgow, uh, and by the way, now the city of London in England, have a, a, a diagnosis and a plan. We also know that they're looking at things that have been proven to work. We know that they're looking at uh, sustained funding. Uh, my rule of thumb on sustained funding is if your city has not come up with the equivalent of 10% of your police budget, they are not going to reduce violence sustainably. And you can afford 10%. That, that's probably the inflation increases for your police department over three years or four years. But anybody can afford 10% who actually wants to reduce violence and save lives and stop children from witnessing violence, stop the violence against women. So it, it, it's a rule of thumb um, that 
gives you some idea of what needs to be uh, spent. Now, you also need to raise awareness. My experience is that the public is ahead of the legislators. The public actually knows anybody in those areas where the violence is occurring knows why it's occurring. And they know, yeah, they want people to be stopped by the police and, 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 and um, got off the streets. But they also know that it has to do with, with the, uh, the family situation, with parenting. They know it has to do with the lack of jobs. They know it has to do with uh, these young men dropping out of school because they... Uh, so it, 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 there's nothing s- secret to, to, to them about what the research uh, shows. But you do have to raise awareness. Now, these two monitors give people very clear indicators of what they need to do. And I just want to come back to the, what is the critical bottom line for me. I want people to save lives. I've been involved in the victim movement in, in, in the US, but in other countries. And the victim movement is about stopping people from being victims of, of violence, stopping the homicides, saving lives, stopping people from being um, traumatized, from being disabled, from being unable to live their lives because they've been traumatized by, uh, by violence. That is what I, I think needs to be the main reason for doing these things. And yes, uh, there are logical, rational arguments that if you invest in this, these proven things, you, you will save money. But the most important thing is, is saving lives, providing futures for young men and also for young women uh, but when you stop the violence against um, uh, young women. Wow, no, I, I agree. Wow. Um, so, I, okay, I want to circle back to, um, you know, the interpreters and the youth outreach that you were talking about. Those are um, some really interesting topics there and, and some really interesting insight that you have for us. So my question to you is, what kind of jobs then do you think that they should have with that youth outreach and with the interrupters group and, you know, um, the men who are at the center of the crime? What kind of jobs do you think that they should have, like filling potholes or are you talking about like city hall jobs or like anything? Like, Well, the... Some of this was uh, generated by Boston in the 1990s. And um, the good news is about Boston is that they got a 50% reduction, actually better, a 60% reduction within a couple of years. And what it shows is that if you do go for creating jobs, for youth outreach, for family support, and the police are partners in pushing people towards this and you've got mothers you can get these what, what these prove that you can get these large reductions unfortunately boston didn't sustain it because they didn't have that planning uh group but in boston uh this uh, the big insurer there offered um summer jobs to some of these men. Um, But 
whether you can get local business to offer jobs, you need to make sure that the young men who are going for those jobs are mentored because they aren't necessarily going to turn up at eight o'clock every morning. And so they need somebody uh, like an interrupter or a, a mentor who is actually going to help them do that. And when uh, you when that happens, you also see 50% reduction. My book on Science and Secrets of Ending Violent Crime has a chapter that basically shows you all these things with 50% reductions. It has another one on cities that have achieved a 50% reduction. And so this is achievable. You, you, you have to do it. So I, I don't know the, uh, the answer in, in your city. Um, construction is an obvious one. If you have a housing shortage, then you can uh, get them engaged in um, skill in construction without necessarily any skills. Uh, but you can also try and help them get the skills that are needed. But you have to look a, a little bit at what are the needs in your uh, city and what these uh, men uh, are, are likely to uh, want, want, want to do. Okay, so I know that actually a lot of violence um, is, is tied to drug trade. So how would you get somebody living a dangerous and you know kind of deadly lifestyle but making really big money um, to work a, a city job or something like I know you said it comes down to a mentor, but I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Well, uh, I agree that your um, what you've just said presents a challenge. But I also know that uh, the Interrupters program has been successful, that becoming a man has been successful. Uh, so you can overcome it. And I, I I actually see it in many cities in the United States. The Biden-Harris administration has put what I consider very small amounts of money uh, that would enable a city to um, get some initial funding for interrupters or for the hospital emergency program. Um, the reality is that, yeah, you can have a flashy car. You think you're going to get the most beautiful girl, um, but you are living a very dangerous life and you may not see it, uh, but your mother sees it and she cares and she can put some pressure on you. And you it's a wake up call when you end up in a hospital emergency room and you're in uh, ICU because you have a bullet somewhere um, or you have something done to your, so stabbings can occur around the mouth or um, that's a wake up. You, you, you can't go on uh, having the flashy car and having that uh, life. And um, the choice of, well, am I, going to have this wonderful life or am I going to come out of a hospital in a wheelchair? We don't talk enough about people disabled by, by these uh, incidents uh, or you coming out in a body bag. Um, and for that concentrated, for that small group who are engaged in this levels of violence, those risks are very, very high. And uh, yeah, the risk of going to jail is also 
uh, high. Um, now, some of it happens because um, males mature. The I actually agree with the some of this uh, determinancy that goes around with the development of the male brain, but uh, there are various things that happen to men in their mid twenties. Brain changes uh, uh, if they get involved with a woman who. Uh, wants them to stay if they have a kid with that woman. There, there are various life chance events that help the, the, the mentors. You, you smiled when you said, did I really think an interrupter or a mentor can change? Um, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but I am saying that uh, the evidence is irrefutable that this works, not with every young man, but uh, 50% is um, what my target would be. If you only get 30% reduction, hey, that's good. But there are, you shouldn't rely on that as the only thing. You've got to look at the family um, stuff. You've got to look at what you do in schools. And, and you came back to me on, on, on jobs. Um, you've, you've got to do all those things. And uh, you've also got to keep the young man out of the, the jail system. Um, jail system may get him off the, the street for a short period of time, uh, but when he comes out, he's probably going back to something like this, and his life chances are even worse when he comes out. So the more you can stop that from happening, uh, the better. I didn't say you, you know, you have to hold these guys accountable. You have to do something about guns. Uh, now, just to come back to drugs, um, people always ask me this question. Well, they can make a lot of money selling drugs. Well, who are they selling these drugs to? So uh, some of the people they're selling the drugs to are addicted and you, you, you've got to worry about that. Um, some of them are people who have the money to buy those drugs. Uh, so you do need to be looking at uh, drugs. Um, I, I talk a lot about, I do a lot of work in Mexico, and basically the exchange arrangement between Mexico and the United States is Mexico supplies the drugs, the United States supplies the guns. Um, this is not... Uh, what we want. And I don't know how this impacts your city, uh, but we need to also be looking at what we can do to reduce the demand for drugs. Now, I've talked about a lot of things. I, 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 what I want to see, uh, I want to see life saved in the short term. So I, I think you, you need to focus on some sort of diagnosis uh, and uh, looking at those programs that have worked in other U.S. cities like Interrupters and looking at what you can do in schools and, yes, looking at what you can do to provide uh, jobs. So that safety monitor tool that talks about those is, is, is going to give you short-term results. Short-term for me is sustained reduction in homicides and shootings by 2025 and uh, no return 
um, to um, the levels that you have now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mr. Urban, um, thank you again so much for giving us some of your time today. Is there anything else that you would like to add on this subject? Yes, I, I am very involved with the, the World Health Organization, the UN Office on Drugs and Crime and Habitat. These are three UN agencies. I think uh, most people have now heard of the World Health Organization because of COVID, but they are doing great things on violence prevention. And the affluent countries like the United States, Canada, Germany, pick whatever you want, are committed to achieving by 2030 what are called sustainable development goals. These include a significant reduction in homicides and violence, a significant reduction in violence against children, and a significant reduction and violence against women. And we need to focus on those. And there is a program called Peace in Our Cities based in, I think, San Diego, anyhow, based somewhere in California, that is getting cities to join a network of cities who are committed to this 50% reduction. So Oakland, uh, Dayton, right? Yeah, Dayton, Ohio are two U.S. cities that are committed to it. In Canada, a city called Edmonton is committed to it. And I would like to see your city join that network. And your city, your mayor, or city council has to commit, it, commit to a 50% reduction by 2030. But what's important is that you then become part of a network of cities that are looking at what they can do, what each of them are doing, and they can learn from each other, and they can get more confidence. So, you know, the old response of policing and, and prisons, it doesn't work. Um, but you can get confidence about making these changes to things that do work. And I didn't say don't do policing, don't do prisons. Uh, I did say, do these things that work. And in that network, uh, you, you can gain confidence and maybe your city can become one of the models that I like to preach about when I do presentations all over the world. And I would love to see that. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for joining us. And thank you all for listening to our 21 News podcast. Again, I am Sydney Canty, and we hope that you got something wonderful out of this conversation of ours.